Good evening, church. The Lord will speak to us through his word this evening through uh, the book of 1 Kings. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me at the 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3. That's going to be page 282 uh, in your pew Bibles if you have your pew Bibles with you. As you're turning, I just want to take this time to tell you thank you and I appreciate the ministry that I've had to the youth. It's been a great privilege uh, to have your young children sit under the ministry of the Word and your grandchildren. It's been a blessing. Some weeks ago, I was attempting to propose a curriculum for them uh, for this fall. And I had two uh, classes that I wanted to teach, one on the parables in the New Testament or the Sermon on the Mount and spiritual gifts. Uh, and then I said, unless you all have another a topic that we, you'd rather hear or prefer to have me teach, and one of them volunteered that uh, it'd be best if we go through the kings of the Old Testament. I didn't think I would hear that as a request, but it came through, and uh, they all voted for it, and, and here we are. Uh, we're going to be studying the characters of the kings of Israel and Judah. We're only going to have time to go through ten of them, uh, because there are many more kings. If you know your Old Testament, there are about 40 of them. And I'm pretty sure we don't have 40 weeks to, to be able to study all of the kings, so we're just limited to 10. But it's been a privilege uh, to start on this study, and, and this is uh, what we're doing in our youth group. First Kings chapter 3, starting verses 1. The Word of God says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house. And the house of the Lord in the walls around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places. However, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offering on the altar. At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept him, this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in, place, in the place of David my father. Though I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered, accounted for multitudes. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. 
For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon, that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I gave you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk, and if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will strengthen, I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray and ask his blessing on his word. Loving Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this evening to acknowledge that you are God and there is no other God beside you. You're the God who lifts up and the one who puts down. You're the king of all the kings and lord of all the lords, the master of everything. Lord, we come with gratitude because you have given us your word and you've not left us in the dark to, to grope about to, and trying to find out what you have said. We have your oracles. And Lord, we thank you that through your oracles and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you speak to us to convict us of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. We thank you that you've left us the life and testimonies of the saints of the Old Testament so that we can learn from their strengths and from their weaknesses so that we, your people, will not make the same mistakes. We ask now, Lord, that you would give us the grace and mercy to be slow to speak, slow to hear, so that we can hear and receive the word with meekness, this word that is intended to save our souls. Now may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 3 is our text. Now in Greek mythology, many of you, if not all of you, who have been to school and learned history or read anything about the Greeks, you know of the story of Midas. King Midas, the great king. Midas was granted a wish by the god Dionysius. Midas was asked to make a wish, what he would want, and he asked that everything he touched would turn to gold. That's amazing. 
While his wish was granted, he soon realized the consequences of his desires. And he ultimately begged to be relieved of this golden touch. For you see, his blessing was a curse because Midas could not um, be intimate, couldn't be close to anything he touched because anything he touched would be gold. Thus was the folly of Midas. Solomon, however, his prayer is striking because in our natural state as people, we normally pray for selfish desires. The book of James tells us in James chapter 4 and verses 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. The apostle John tells us, this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And so in our story today, one greater than Midas is approached by Almighty God and given a similar hearing to ask whatever he desired, and he asked for wisdom and discernment. Solomon's request for wisdom and judgment is a request to a God who had adopted him as his son. First Chronicles 28 verses 6 and 7 tells us, in the words of David speaking to Solomon, it is Solomon your son who shall build my house and my court, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. It is the request of one who wants to give glory to his father. It is a request of a son who worships and delights in the good gifts that's been given to him by his father. So what I would like us to look at today and the angle I want us to focus on Three parts. One, is Solomon as the son of God makes his request from a heart that loves God. And then secondly, Solomon as the son of God makes his request in accordance with the will of God. And then finally, Solomon as the son makes his request in a spirit of worship. After the request had been answered, he worshiped and praised the living God. And so a prayer that pleases the Lord is a prayer that comes from a heart that loves God, a, a heart that wants to do the will of God, and a heart that is full of worship and praise and adoration of the one true and living God. And this is not a, crest, a prayer request or a prayer that is only made by Solomon because the scripture in the New Testament will also tell us, asks. And in the book of James, chapter 4, it tells us, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And so the same request, the same invitation that Solomon had to make his request to God is the same open, open invitation that we two, sons and daughters of the living God, have even today. And so that as we look at this task, as we, as, as we look at this text and as we examine the character of Solomon, let's think our, of ourselves as one who 
are chosen of God, given not the same request, but something similar. Let's examine whether we are those who love God and pray out of hearts that love. Let's examine ourselves and see whether we are those who pray according to the will of God and those who gratefully worship and praise God when he answers our prayer. Let's go to Solomon's life, verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3 is, is a broad opening introduction to the person. It's exposing the disposition of Solomon because up to this point we are almost guessing about who Solomon is and what he's going to turn up to be. Because when we see David passes off the saying in chapter 2, David had given him two requests. Uh, sort of a vendetta that Solomon had to carry out. There were two men that Solomon had to dispose of because they had angered David. And Solomon quickly dispatches with them as he establishes his throne. And along with those two men, his own brother, Adonijah, is dispatched because he had rebelled against Solomon in asking to marry the king's wife, David, not Solomon's. And so he was dispatched. And so when we get to chapter 3, the question is, what kind of person is Solomon? We, we see him doing some shady things. Dispatching of David enemies and even getting rid of his brother. He's cleaning house and getting rid of some people who had been enemies internally. Is this the king that he's going to be? But we see that the scripture from the beginning of Solomon's life paints him as someone who is wise and full of understanding. So wise that Solomon enters into a marriage allegiance, alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The important thing about that is that Pharaoh at this time is one of the power brokers in the Middle East. It would be the equivalent of a superpower today. And in getting into this alliance with Pharaoh, Solomon was securing the peace of his people and his nation. And furthermore, we see that Solomon is a religious king because when he marries the Pharaoh's daughter. No doubt the law is that she would have to vow, she would have to vow, she would have to commit uh, to serving the Lord God. And we don't see Solomon budging on that particular aspect of it. But Solomon also takes her to the city of David. It said until he had finished his own house and building the house of the Lord. And so Solomon's priority as king first is to broker a marriage alliance, to build a palace, to symbolize stability for his people that he was going to commit to be in Jerusalem. And this would be the city of the king, but also this would also be the city of God because the temple would be built on the city. To further ease the mind of his people, Solomon would build a series of walls around the city of Jerusalem. And so Solomon had set himself up and his people for a long, peaceful reign. A peaceful reign that would be full of prosperity economically. A peaceful reign that would be a demonstration of Solomon's wealth. It will be a demonstration and an open invitation to the neighbors come 
and enjoy the reign of Solomon, the king of peace. Come and enjoy the city of Zion where the temple of our God is on display. Come, we are a people of God. But the scripture tells us in verses 2, subtly hinting that Solomon was not perfect. It tells us that Solomon, the people were sacrificing in the high places. However, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. There's that however. And what we want to know about the high places is, it is where elevated plains, hills, mountains, that it was common for people to, to worship. This is something that had happened throughout the Old Testament that had been continuing in the day of Solomon. And this was the reason, or one of the reasons, that God had centralized worship by allowing Solomon to build the temple in Jerusalem so that there would be no worshiping of God on any high place anywhere else but at the temple. Solomon is not 100% sold out on that plan. He will build the temple, but he will not commit to tearing down the high places. And this would be one of the blemishes on the person of Solomon. But in verses 3 we see Solomon loved the Lord. Solomon loved Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of his father, David, the only true and living God. The scripture tells us if we had any doubt about what kind of a king Solomon would be, he is a king who loves the Lord. Further, it tells us that he was walking in the statutes of David, his father. Again, we see this only. He sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. This is something that is recurring. Again, that's a blemish on Solomon's life. Solomon loved the Lord. And the prayer that we see coming later on in this chapter is a prayer that is coming from a heart of someone who loves the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great commandment, the first and the greatest commandment, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Christ reiterate this in the New Testament. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto this. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Solomon loves the Lord. And his prayer is a prayer that flows from a heart of one who loves the Lord. We've already made reference to the fact that Solomon had been adopted by the Lord. God had appointed him. God had chosen him and said, I will be a father to him and he will be a son. But these are the words 
that the saints of the New Testament have received. That God would be to us a father and we would be his children. Therefore, he says, love the Lord your God. Avoid your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now Solomon points us to none other than the Lord Jesus. But unlike Solomon, the Lord Jesus was perfect. John 8, 28 says, in speaking to the religious leaders in the temple, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with him. He has not left me, because I always do the things that are pleasing to the Father. And so while we are not called to be like Solomon in any way, we are called to be like Christ. And while we cannot in our own strength say that we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the scripture tells us that Jesus, the Son of the Father, loved God and always did what was pleasing to his Father. Further, the scripture tells us, we heard about it this morning, that we have been adopted into the family of God and part of our adoption is that we have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so like Solomon, we can have a heart that love God, not because we are a people that instinctively and by nature love God, but because we have been given God's spirit that cries in us, Abba, Father. And so the Spirit helps us. When we don't know how to pray as we ought, the Spirit, it says, makes intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered because the Spirit knows the mind of the Father. And so like Solomon, we too can have a heart to love God because we are in Christ and Christ has fulfilled the law on our behalf. And we in Him are perfectly righteous and we can by the power of the Holy Spirit come before the throne of our living God and offer him praise and thanksgiving and worship with hearts that have been made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ second a prayer that pleases the Lord is a prayer that asks for what a prayer that asks according to the will of God a prayer that asks what will bring honor and glory to God. Instinctively, naturally, we don't pray for what would bring glory to God. We pray like Midas, if we're honest. Give me wealth, give me riches, give me prosperity, give me good health. As Jordan was saying this morning, this is one of the things that would make any Christian angry when you have proponents of the prosperity gospel telling people that their lives should be full of good health and, and it should be about accumulating wealth and being prosperous apart from the suffering and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us that we should ask in accordance with the will of God and sometimes what accords with the will of God is not our prosperity, it's not our good health and it's not our well-being but 
It's about what would bring Christ ultimate glory. What would bring him praise and worship and adoration. What we see here in Solomon's request is not a selfish prayer request, but a prayer that will honor God through using Solomon as an instrument for God's glory. Consider Solomon's prayer to the Lord. In verses 4, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offering on the altar, and at Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, What shall I give you? Solomon said, You have given great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given to him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of David, my father. Although I am but a child, I do not know how to go out and come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for a multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, because so that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern your great people. Solomon's prayer is a humble prayer. Solomon is king of Israel. He's, after all, the son-in-law of the great Pharaoh. But Solomon does not let this reality escape his mind that God in heaven is the king of kings. And that he is but a child in comparison to his father David. David was a well-seasoned man when he became king. He was wise and discerning. And Solomon at this time is in his 20s. He's not adept at statecraft. He's not a politician. Solomon is a young man and he needs help. And he's acknowledging his help. He comes humbly before God. He's not coming and saying, Lord, I am king and you should acknowledge me. And give me what I want. That's not his attitude. He's not proud and arrogant like some of the kings that will come after him. He's humble. He, he, he comes before the Lord and acknowledges his own weakness and acknowledges God's sovereignty. And he, he says, I'm, I'm only a child. I'm inexperienced. And then you've given me this great responsibility and I don't, I don't know how to execute my work. And so God, help me, give me the ability to know not only what you want, but to know how to make applications to the specific cases that will come before me on a day-to-day -day basis. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Help me to be a good judge. Because Solomon was not only king and, and governor responsible for policies. He was a judge over his people and cases would be brought before him. Later on in the chapter we see a, a case study of a woman who's brought before him, two women rather, who's brought before him claiming that this child that they had brought was theirs. Uh, the child couldn't be for both of them, obviously. One of them had slept on their child and killed the child and and they were seeking the, the face of Solomon and saying this is my child, I want him. And after deliberating, after listening to them, one of them was careful to make the statement, which was a clue to Solomon, 
that I don't care who gets him as long as that child is killed and he's divided in two because Solomon had offered that if you can't make up your mind, I'll just cut him in two and both of you could have half of the child. Obviously the child is dead and he'll be no good and no use to anybody. But there was a woman, the other, that said, it's okay, don't kill the child. Just give him, give him to the other woman. Because of that admission, because of that empathy, because of that desire to see the child live, the child live, Solomon discerned that the child belonged to the woman who preferred the life of the child over the death of that child. And so in his wisdom, he ruled that the child be given to the woman who wanted him alive and not the one who wanted his death. This was wisdom from God. Solomon prayed that God would give him wisdom. We shouldn't let this escape us. This is exactly what God would have his leaders pray for. This is exactly what God would have someone who is king, governor of his people, judge of his people pray for because God would be the one who would equip. And God is the one who equips leaders. Give them the ability not only to know the mind of God that is revealed in the scripture, but give them understanding to apply the word of God. And that's why we pray when we pray weekly for our leaders. Because absent a wise and discerning leader, our country could be on a crash course for collision, for catastrophic judgment, destruction. We've seen it in world history where leaders have been task of the charge of overseeing and governing their people and because of one mistake the course of the nation turns and it's gone to ruin. There's a case in point for those of you that are history buff. King John 1166 to 1216, King of England. His lack of justice and oppressive rule led to a conflict with his barons that culminated in the signing of the Magna Carta in 1215. His arbitrary taxation and abuse of power resulted in a rebellion by the nobles who sought to curb his unjust practices and ensure more equitable in governance. We are beneficiary of that action, of the bad choices that John made, the Magna Carta, which has shaped our nation, a means of our founders and our constitution. We learned from his mistakes. And because of that, we have a three-tier government, executive, the judiciary, and legislative. So Solomon's prayer was not a prayer just to blow smoke, to make himself sound like he was pious. He was. But it was, sincere. It was a sincere prayer. And he was praying according to to the will of God. Now, none of us will be, well, some of us are tasked with the responsibility to, to make judgments. So we have judges among us. None of us are serving in, in an executive position where we have the responsibility of overseeing policy and signing them into law and making sure that they're carried out. But all of us, as, as Christians, Pray for discernment and wisdom. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul prays for us and prayed for the churches in the New Testament. 
that God would give them wisdom and discernment. Like Solomon, we have to but ask, Scripture says, and God will give. Commentator wrote, he said, Solomon was not a favorite of heaven because God have no favorites. That would make God and that would make God imperfect as, as God. Because God says, everyone that asks receives. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if, and if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and it shall be given him. If you have not wisdom, blessing, pardon, peace, it is all for want of asking. God is more ready to hear than we to pray. But the scripture says we should pray in faith. Not wavering, because the one who wavers is like a double-minded man, unstable in all of his way, but let him ask in faith. We shouldn't be like Ahaz, who when he was approached with the same proposition to ask, he, say, he said to God, I will not ask. I will not ask. We think that when God invites us to ask, when we exercise our right and ask, we're asking in presumption, but it's not so. Because the scripture says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God, nature, is to give good things to his children. And he says, ask. Ask and it shall be given to you. But ask in accordance to the will of God. And the will of God is revealed in his scripture. God will not go contrary to what he's revealed. And that's why he gives us the New Testament that illustrates for us some of the things that we should ask. The fruit of the Spirit. We've gone over a study of that in, my, in one of my classes with the students. What are we asking for? Are we asking for things to eat and consume that only satisfy our desires? Or are we asking for those things that will bring honor and glory to the Lord? We see here that Solomon is asking for what will bring honor and glory to the Lord. And when he asks, the Lord answers. Finally, and in closing, Solomon ask out of a heart of worship. Verses 10 through 15. Let's consider verses 15. After Solomon wakes up and realizes that he had been with the Lord and God had spoken to him, Solomon returns to worship. In verses 15, Solomon awoke and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offering and made a feast for all of his servants. Solomon worshipped after his encounter with the Lord. He is a man of worship. The scripture commands us, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. We, as sons and daughters, as children of the living God, 
we are called to be a people of worship, to be a people who are grateful for the blessings that our God has given to us. The Lord Jesus Christ, in the parable of the, of the prodigal son, demonstrated the love of, of a father reaching out to a son, a prodigal who had gone out and wasted his father's riches and prostitutes. And when he came to himself, he came back to his father and and with a desire to be a servant, a slave in the house of his father. And his father embraced him and brought him back home and hosted a feast for him. This son was a grateful son. The son, upon receiving his father's grace and seeing his genuine love and acceptance, rejoiced in his good gift that has been given to him. He returned and they soon celebration illustrate the concept of divine redemption and joy that comes from being reconciled with a loving and forgiving father. We are that prodigal. We have wandered and God in his mercy has reached out and brought us into his family and adopted us and made us his children and, and has given us great and many promises. And he has invited us to ask. He has poured out his spirit in us to make us his beloved, and to, to love him with our hearts and soul and mind and strength. He's given us his word to teach us how to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to have wisdom and understanding. And it's our duty and obligation to worship and praise him, for he is our God. Like Solomon, we are grafted into the family of God. We are adopted sons. Like the prodigal, boundless mercy awaits us when we return to the Lord, when we receive his mercy, our knee-jerk reaction should be to worship our king, give him praise because of not only who he is and what he's done, but because we are his children, the sheep of his pasture. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege we have to come and learn from the Old Testament. You tell us that the scripture was given for our instruction our example, so that we, through patience, can learn from the examples of those that you've given in your scripture for us to learn from. We pray that you give us the grace that we need to be those who are people who love you of our hearts, soul, minds, and strength, because we have the indwelling spirit who's able to help us and enable us to do that, to be those who ask according to your will, to seek you and find you, and to always be those who worship and glorify you because of what you've done and what you're doing in and through us. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.